2: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Episode 9 of Flames Nation Radio. I'm your host, Ryan Pike, and we're not joined this week by our usual co-host, Shane Stevenson. He's dealing with a deluge of schoolwork, as I'm sure a good section of our listening audience is. So school folks, you have our thoughts and prayers with you but as a nice treat we're we're joined this week by uh a very able pinch hitter mike gould of uh the nation network and basically i'm trying it'd be shorter to list the the nation network sites that mike does not contribute to at this point
0: yeah i uh, i don't write for oilers nation um i don't write for the blue jays site i don't there's a couple yeah it's just I have never contributed to hockeyfights.com. I think that's adjacent in some way. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty
2: sure. I'm pretty sure if it's in Mike's contract that if he gets asked to write for Oilers Nation, he's allowed to flip a table before providing his answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny. You know, I, when I signed the contract, there were only three teams on there, and and it's since grown to five. Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Hey, I uh,
2: I told you when I told you to take out that line that said other du- other duties as needed. And you're just too, uh, you're just too polite to, to cross it out. So, I mean, um, you know, it's it's good to be busy. And you, uh, you know, uh, before we dive into this, uh, Flames Nation Radio is brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. And also, for a limited time, we're brought to you by Eau Claire Distillery's Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Uh, let's see how much of this verbiage I can read without stumbling. Uh, Flames fans can take a taste of the Saddle home with them with their beautiful collector's edition bottle featuring Calgary's iconic skyline. Uh, the Calgary Plains branded collector's edition whiskey is now available for a limited time online at their tasting room in Turner Valley and at the Calgary Farmer's Market while supplies last. Uh, Eau Claire Distillery is Alberta's first craft distillery founded in 2014 in Turner Valley, Alberta. I have a few Eau Claire Distillery products in my booze cabinet. They make really good stuff. Uh, I have their, uh, I believe it's their cherry gin. It's really good. It goes with basically anything you'd want gin to go through to so we thank uh, them for their support of flames nation radio and uh it allows us a chance to have a nice chat with mike because you know mike uh if you follow mike on twitter mike's been posting photos that aren't of uh a seat in the saddle dome uh this week he's been he's been on the road i i had a chance uh before the pandemic to go on the road but mike was ballsy enough to go on the road during a pandemic so i thought you know I guess, first of all, Mike, how did you get talked into this? Because I know, you know, last season, you you and Paige had uh, the Stockton Heat covered very, very, uh, very ably and very thoroughly. And I assume, knowing you, that so one, of the, one of the folks who work for the Heat, they have very friendly people working for the Heat organization. And they probably said, oh, Mike, thanks for the, thanks for the coverage, you ought to come on down. And of course, yeah. you know, like, you know, you know, basically, you know, you're at a, you're at a, a wedding. We've all been in social events, you know, where someone's like, oh, you, you ought to come visit. And you're like, yeah, sure. And then no one ever does it because life gets in the way. And for, yeah. for Mike, he, he found some, t- a way to make life work to, uh, to take them up on that office. That's, that's, that sounds pretty cool, man.
0: Yeah. That's a pretty accurate way of putting it. I, um when I was with the heat, uh, like the in-person interactions that I had with them were extremely limited. Um, like I would my in-person interactions were basically going into the satellite 13 times at the basically the club entrance and uh having to talk my, my way in each time because technically I wasn't supposed to be there um because I had not been previously credentialed to cover the flames, and there was a bit of a, a communications mishap that enabled me to actually get in there despite not having any prior credentials. And they had granted me them and then realized that maybe they shouldn't have. And then they had already given them to me. So I was able to get in. Um, And that immediately sparked the beginning of an interesting back and forth and relationship with the Heat, which has blossomed into, you know, quite a great partnership. I think being able to talk to uh, all the different guys who they have working there, Brandon Weiss and Communications and Jamie Cochran, who's their new president. Um, and he had sort of spent, I believe, last season sort of in a de facto role as their president. Because correct me if I'm
2: wrong, Jamie worked in a lot of, a few different capacities in the Flames organization, and then you know, when the previous president, I think it's Brian Petrovic, was the previous president, and then that's they right. had someone interim, and then Jamie got slotted into the role. So yeah. anyone who's wondering, "Ooh, do the Flames have long term plans for Stockton?" Well, they put one of their own people there as the president. So that's and he moved down there. So I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty good sign that they want to be there for a while. But anyway, yeah, yeah. you so so uh, you were able to sort of build uh, build some bridges there. Yeah, I had had
0: lunch with Jamie, actually, at one point, uh, I believe near the end of the season. And uh, that just had sort of sparked into a conversation where, yeah, if you ever come down to Stockton, we can maybe hook you up with uh, with getting into the games. And, and, uh, and they actually were able to get me into a, a discounted hotel rate as well. Um, and they have a really nice hotel um, that they have a partnership with directly beside the arena, which is where all the players stay as well. So. When we were down there um, this past week, I went down with my dad. and We made it into a sort of a, a hockey trip. And uh, we were staying in the same hotel that the San Diego, San Diego Gulls were staying in. Um, and so it, it's honestly a really nice place. Um, and it's obviously really close to the arena. So it's very easy to get there.
2: And I, I think that's sort of the area where a lot of the players live too. I mean, Stockton has a bit of a reputation. But I mean, A, most cities have places in their city that have a reputation for being, don't hang around here unless you got to. But, you know, from the photos you were sharing and from folks I've talked to, you know, the the area around the rink, very nice. The rink itself, actually, uh, you posted some photos on your social media. Uh, 360 Architecture at the time designed it, and they've since been acquired by HOK. So pretty much the same people who were, you know, had their hands in building the Stockton Arena. Are gonna be designing whatever the hell the Calgary arena is called. It's I assume it's gonna be Scotiabank something until I get told otherwise. Cause or tell us, yeah. It'll be I don't know. These guys have long-term contracts. But yeah, yeah I, I think true. I think that, that kind of continuity is kind of cool because like I can't imagine it didn't come up during the during the processes that you know the flames have many people who've been back and forth with Stockton and have stayed at that hotel and stayed at that rink and i can't imagine it didn't come up at some point like man these guys did a good job in their rank. maybe we should uh, give them some more work right eh? yeah the only like i'm not entirely
0: sure of the entire timeline of how that waterfront uh, uh area was constructed because there's a lot of infrastructure there that looks you know pretty new there's a brand new i think it's a brand new baseball park that's like I think in the, the new that's, millennium, that's where the ports play, right? That's where the ports play. Um, and that's, it's right next to the arena. And the hotel is, looks quite new to me. Like the hotel looks like it's probably the last 20 years as well. And then the arena was 2005. So there's a lot of this stuff and there's also a concert venue that looks a little bit older. That's pretty close by. So it's, it's definitely a nice area and um, the arena just blew me away, honestly. And, and so did the hotel. It's, it's honestly a great place to stay if you're going down to watch the game because yeah it's right there and I mean parking is really good and you don't don't really have to you don't really have to plan out a big trip to get anywhere and obviously
2: did did you have to twist your dad's arm to be like how to go from you how to go from okay I'm gonna go to Stockton to hey dad let's go to Stockton like did you have to you know put together a powerpoint to convince him or was was it not much convincing (laughs) it's funny
0: um like when when I when I was first coming up with the idea I wasn't really that worried about convincing my dad it was more about convincing my mom as, as you know, <laughs> usually is um and and the way that I worded it I mean wasn't necessarily untrue it's just like you know the heat would like me to come down and I had you know because the, they because Jamie had sort of mentioned the possibility that it would be cool if you came down in this conversation that we'd had over lunch a few months before and I had texted Jamie and i had said okay so yeah let's 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 look at this because i thought it would be sort of a cool opportunity and uh the the covid cases were going down and uh, there were new restrictions that were lifting and i just thought it might be a cool idea at some point during the season and and um and yeah so so i was i was able to make it be like oh yeah this could be a business trip opportunity i could i could get down there and uh kindle some connections rekindle some connections maybe do some radio while i was down there and it actually ended up you know being just like that pretty much uh got to be on with a couple 960 people a couple times and uh it was honestly quite a fulfilling trip um it's, you know, it's
2: always kind of an ego boost when you're going through customs and they ask you why you're there and you get to say business and then sort of you'd be like yeah business yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean
0: it, it, it was it was definitely very interesting and uh you know the way that the trip worked out with the first heat game being canceled um, actually worked into a bit of a boon for us because we were able to go down to LA and see the flames, play the Kings and uh, got to see a win, which was, well, also very
2: fun. I, I, I just think it's kind of nice that, you know, you, you thought had gotten your heart. You're like, we're going to three games, damn it. And then you get to replace an AHL game against the Oilers affiliate uh, with uh, an, an NHL game. And, you know, I think that's kind of cool. I, I I got a chance to cover uh, a game at, uh, at Staples center back in February of of t- February 20, Uh they lost uh but yeah. it was i uh it was kind of cool because like it's kind of neat sort of being a new arena especially you know i think uh it was the last game i think it'll end up being the last game that they have staples center as the name on the outside i think it, they don't change over the name on the paperwork on the deed of the building to crypto crypto.com Dot com. Arena. Yeah, terrible until i think this i think the beginning of january they switched over after christmas but i, th- I think it's is, christmas day that it changes but yeah it's a weird contract but i mean yeah. like I don't know if the crypto people like would, would like to give me a bunch of money. I'll call myself crypto without whatever. But yeah, I, I, I you like. know it's it's kind of cool. You know, you get to you got to see uh, see a, a, a good game without. Uh, what do you think of Staples Center? Because for for those of you who who haven't been, Staples Center, it's it's. Uh, sort of nestled in an in area they now call la live they've got mm-hmm. the convention center they've got an amphitheater it's across from the kodak theater there's a hotel there's a lot of public classes. Uh, they've done a really nice job with sort of some traffic calming stuff in the area so it's it's not really a great area to, it's a great area once you've driven into and gotten parking to just tool around in it's not a great area to find parking in so you have to be very very tactical with where you park but beyond that, like I, I was really impressed by all the stuff they had there because once you walk walk out of the little parking structure in the convention center where I parked, it was it's just there's so much stuff. It's almost overwhelming how much stuff there is down there.
0: Yeah, it's been a while since I've been to Toronto, but I think it kind of reminded me of the sort of the Dundas Square area uh, in Toronto. It's it's quite, but but a little bit flashier. Um, they had an outdoor <laughs> rank set up, which was quite something um so around a big christmas tree they were giving out rental skates i think that looked like they were ski boots um it was it was quite something people were leaving Staples center and then going immediately to skate which was <laughs> something i didn't expect to see in la when it was like 15 degrees out um but yeah uh the area was quite nice the arena itself was funny to me because the bowl was quite dramatic there's a lot of <laughs> really cool lighting that goes on a lot, a lot around that bowl nothing quite as cool as the fire in the saddle alone, but pretty cool and uh but but the actual like concourse kind of felt like something like straight out of 2000 like it felt a little bit dated in that respect um like i thought the da- i think the downstairs area at the saddle Loam, where all the club seats are is actually nicer than the concourse at staples which is sort of a weird thing to say but it just that's just how i felt
2: yeah because I, I know the, the downstairs area in the saddle Loam was renovated i think in like 95 or 96 there's one year where they had like it was the year the Flames took over the lease uh, over over management of the building, and then they had the renovations that included. If you if you thought that the LA had a bad or the the the, the Islanders had a bad road trip beginning of the season with thirteen games, the Flames had a similar one that year because they yeah. they the, the renovations in the Saddler weren't done yet. And I remember yeah. because like you know they went for, they put in a bunch of extra suites and they sort of I think they sort of it was the first step in terms of them modernizing the building as much as they could. And yeah, like I I really like Staples Center. Like, I think it's a really, it's sort of the template for how arenas, I think, should be because big wide concourses and good sight lines. And, you know, the thing I hate about the building is that the elevator stops at every damn floors and it's sort of they have one elevator or one or two major elevators that the press use and the and the staff use and the sp- and that the fans use so it's it's weird it's a weird fl- like i mean it's better than not having it but it's it's a weird thing but yeah. uh, and then and then so you, you know you saw the kings game and then Yusuf Alamaki came up with you right that's right yes so uh you 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 got to see all of Yusuf of ahl dates this year both of them i did and uh, I guess for, for the Heat, I mean, you know, who who stood out for you? Uh, you know, there's obviously, you know, it might not be uh, beneficial to go through every player because I don't think the fans who listen to us particularly care about Ryan Olson. I'm sorry, Ryan Olson and your family, <laughs> yeah. but if you're not in, on a contract with the Flames, our, our readers might not love to hear about too much about you. But, you know, who, who stood out to you for better or for worse uh, in, in your viewings this year?
0: Yeah, it was, it was a little bit of serendipity on that point with USO coming up because um, they were without Matthew Phillips for both the games that I was down there. He missed three with COVID protocol, um, but I got to see USO instead. So that was something that I did not anticipate. And uh, he was all right. He, I mean, he was obviously very productive, uh, three assists in the two games. He still doesn't stand out to me that much as a skater which is something that I think is still coming back obviously with all the injuries he's been through. Um, just, just a little bit. I don't know. His, his, motions aren't that fluid, especially when he's sort of pivoting and in his own zone, when he's breaking out his skating still has a ways to go, I think. And that's something that we're going to have to keep an eye on because he wasn't really wowing me in that regard at the AHL level. And he hasn't been really wowing me at the NHL level either. Um but he wasn't bad. Like it wasn't like he was turning the puck over every shift. He had a really rough start to the second game, but after that, he sort of uh, he, he settled down. Um, he was outshined or he was outshone by Connor Mackey. Definitely. Um,
2: AHL player of the week, Connor Mackey, AHL
0: player of the week, Connor Mackey. Exactly. Um, he was definitely outshone by Connor Mackey who had a very good weekend at both ends of the ice. Just very fluid. Like that's something that I would not say about Yusuf of He's not very fluid right now. Um, but Connor Mackey is just effortless down there, um, which is to be expected. I mean, he's 25. I mean, you know, I, I would be a little bit concerned if he wasn't fluid. I mean, that's what we're basically seeing with Colton Poolman, and that's why they're not going to recall Colton Poolman. Um, whereas with Connor Mackey, I mean, he just looks very refined down there, and uh they'll probably recall him at some point. Um but he was definitely like if they were looking for if they were considering those two games as sort of an internal competition. I know I know it's funny to say because they've recalled you so but I would say Connor Mackey won that competition on the weekend.
2: You think to a certain extent like I'm, I'm thinking back to basically the, the entire pandemic era because I don't think we have really had Connor Mackey under contract for the Flames not during a pandemic i mean he was signed mm-hmm. after his after his uh i think his, his college season was over but yeah. you know i know i know he sort of came in he got a chance to come in and uh he was not eligible to play for the flames during that uh the the bubble playoffs but they brought him into right. the camp because they just wanted to get in some reps and at that point i mean yuso was skating but he didn't really get much of a chance you know he, he got some reps in for practice but they didn't activate him because i think there's some cba issues they didn't want to to Bernie here from him uh, in terms of his contract and his uh, and in terms of his free agency rights. So he didn't, you know, and to be honest, he came off a pretty gnarly injury and a pretty long recovery. So what, what would the point be? But the, the, the thought I have is, man, I bet you if we put them side by side, I bet you Mackey's played as much, if not, you know, probably significantly more in terms of raw minutes than Val and Mackey the last couple of years. So, you know, even if, you know, there's probably a, a gulf in, in raw talent between them. Cause one guy was a first round pick and one guy was a college free agent signing. Uh, but, you know, Mackey seems to have gotten a lot of reps in. He seems to have really, got, you know, he's been playing, you know, when, he, I think it was kind of telling that he got his, he basically kept his first paying minutes. Cause as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, they had Van Lacky playing with Colton Poolman uh, mm-hmm. which would be sort of Pullman has been rotating on the third pairing with Jan Kuznetsov and Ilya Solovyov And now that Kuznetsov is off to St. John uh, that basically he's a regular third pairing guy, whereas, you know, uh, the regular first pairing pretty much all season for the stock and he has been Andy Walensky and, and Connor Mackey. And so, you know, mm-hmm. Mackey sort of gets his regular duties, his regular partners, regular ice time. And then velamaki just sort of gets, I don't know, they, it's, it's obviously an upgrade over, over up oh, a yeah. guy, but it just seems like in terms of circumstances, you know, they, they, they did what they could to not disrupt what, what, ha, what Connor Mackey has going on right now. Yeah. And I mean, they,
0: uh, they gave you, so lot a lot of PK and a lot of PP minutes, and that's where he got a lot of his points. I think I, either two or three of his points were on the power play, I think. Um, and, and I think, like in total, his ice time amassed up to probably something similar to Mackie. The AHL, I don't think discloses time on ice, but um, I think Brandon Weiss from the heat had deducted or had deduced that Mackie or Valamackie in his first game played something like seven minutes in the first period or something, uh, which would put him on pace for, you know, over 20 minutes on the night for sure. Um, But you know, it's, it's hard to say, right? Like Valamaki, his usage was, was clearly a lot lighter than the Mackey's Mackey was playing really hard minutes for the heat. And he was, he was on the ice in the dying minutes when they were up by one, you know, he was, he was the guy they were leaning on. And it wasn't the same for Valamaki. And obviously part of that's probably familiarity. I mean, Mackey is very, very familiar to this coaching staff. I mean, he was with them all year. He last year, uh, when he was named to the all-star team for the Pacific division, I mean, this is a guy who is, you know, who has been a member of the Stockton Heat through and through. And Valimaki sort of that guy passing through. I mean, how are you gonna, you know, break up that top top pairings chemistry just to, you know, just to allow for, you know, a guy who isn't gonna be on your team long term to play a couple games here? It's 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 hard, right? Because like you want to get you so some reps at the AHL, but it's hard to do that while Connor Mackey's still down there.
2: Yeah. And, and especially with the the guy they have in, I know like, you know, Kevin Gravel has been out the last couple of games with an injury, but you know, the, the guys they brought in, like they brought in some guys to give them some safety. I mean, we mentioned Walensky, they brought in Nicky Simone as well, who's sort of, you know, Nicky Simone is a solid veteran, AHLer. So is Walensky. So is Gravel. They aren't there to take ice time away from the kids. They're there to support them. And I think, you know, they're, they basically backfilling them with some veteran guys, but yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, I think the, the Valimaki thing is going to be something that we discuss here and on the site for a while, because, you know, he's waiver exempt all of the season. They have the ability to sort of float him back and forth as much as they can. And, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how they manage him because he's let's be honest, he's a good player. He's a very good asset for them. And I think, you know, I think the the balancing act that flames are probably dealing with right now is you know, you want the, you want the guy to play as much as humanly possible, but you also want to protect your asset and, you know, I think we, you know, I were discussing this before we started recording. You know, my my thought process is the reason why Yusuf Alanaki was up with the NHL team all year probably wasn't related to any kind of confusion amongst the waiver rules because I can't foresee a situation where the Flames didn't know he was waiver exempt. But I think the thing is especially coming off an injury and wanting to, you know, protect the asset. And you know, a guy who's very much in their long-term plans, a, a former first-round pick, you want him to feel good and you want you know, in, even in the event that you decide he's not in your plans, you know, you don't want to build the perception that, oh, he's a bust. And, you know, the, the Flames had that issue with spin where he came up and then he got sent down. He came, You know, the, you don't want to yo-yo the kids. You want to, them to be feeling like, you, you know, world beaters. And most importantly, if if you want to move him potentially, not to say that they, mu- that they would, but if you decide – yeah, you got Shillington, eh, you got Hannafin, and eh, you got some other guys who can play your third pairing. Maybe Valimac, he's not a, a, a you not know, someone you can fit in, but you want to get some value for him, You know, then you can get some... Look, look, I mean, look at what they have with Sam Bennett, where you know Sam Bennett was used a lot in a lot of different situations. And even though the shine came off the apple before his time with the Flames were over, they still ended up getting a second-round pick and Emil Heineman for him. And that yeah. is by no means a pittance. And I think they did as good a job as they could at protecting that asset so I think I think that's the thought process they have in mind but we'll see but you know they they have some they don't really have a ton of left shot depth beyond Valimaki on the farm they they got in terms of tangible NHL assets it's him and Mackey and not a lot else so I can see why they want to do what they can to give both guys as much rope as they can so We'll see what they do. But, you know, the the other guy, I think a lot of folks are really curious about hearing, I guess, two guys. Uh, You didn't get to see, you you know, Matthew Phillips, which is unfortunate because, you know, you're on Twitter, a big Matt Phillips guy and it's hard not to be. He's just such a likable human being, likable player. He's fun to watch. Uh, But you got to see, you know, the, the 2019 class, uh, Jacob Pelche and, Dustin Wolf, who as of this recording is basically the age, he's first, second, or third, in basically every important goaltending category in the American Hockey League, and he's 20, which is, which is fun. How how did, uh, I know Wolf played both games, I think he ended up playing uh, the game yesterday on Tuesday, the big 10-1 shellacking, but you saw him in two, the first two games of the week, Uh, I, I assume he was, he was above average to you. Yeah, he was
0: he was definitely a little bit above average. Um, Flames goaltending director Jordan Sigalat was there actually for the second of the two games that I was there for, and um, I mean, there's not a whole lot to say. Dustin Wolf, I said this uh, I said this with uh, Pat Steinberg on the second intermission broadcast of the Flames Golden Knights game the other day that I actually think Dustin Wolf could be a contender for the AHL MVP award this season with the way that he's playing. He has been outstanding um like he's he's just unbelievable like you watch dustin wolf and net and he i mean he's just he's an incredibly entertaining goaltender to watch um probably due to his stature i mean he just he just whizzes around that crease i mean he just he's just a, he's just a lightning bug in there and uh he just absorbs everything uh very few bad rebounds from wolf um and I mean, this just been the story. He uh, He's barely had a single bad game since
2: that horrible, horribly I, unlucky. I, I think a bad game by Dustin Wolf standards is three goals against. Yeah. Which is, which is, it's kind of impressive because I think what his goals against average is microscopic. His safe percentage, I think as of last game, it was like 937. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he can get, uh, he can post a shutout and his his uh, goal, his safe percentage doesn't really move very much because yeah. his, it's already so low. Yeah, well, I was
0: I was at uh, obviously I was at Dustin Wolf's first uh, three or four AHL games uh, at the Saddlerum, and I mean I can just say it. Dustin Wolf's first game was the most unfortunate game I've ever seen a goaltender play in professional hockey because he allowed five goals and eleven shots, and all five of them either came off of turnovers directly into the slot or deflections, usually usually off Rob Hamilton's knee. Um oh, like Rob were deflections, Hamilton. They were deflections off his own guys past him, like within a foot of him. And he just had nothing. You know, and the
2: heat got blown out
0: by I think the Toronto Marlies.
2: And and, since think, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, the Heat were the, the last team in the Canadian division to get going. So uh, because I think because of geography, the Marlies and all the other teams had really already played some games, they already gotten that's right. To of better they got their bad game out. Uh, yeah, and the Heat had not. So they were sort of. You know, it was in a way sort of a schedule loss there with a bunch of of guy playing his first pro game in net and a bunch of defensemen who hadn't played a lot together recently. And a bunch of, you know, they had a a very young team and a very, you know, the guys they did have. I mean, I love Corey Schooneman, but when Corey Schooneman's a guy that you're looking at to be, you know, the glue guy, Rob Hamilton, like they had a lot of good depth guys who probably pushed above their skis a bit because of their lack of depth. Well, it's, it's funny because they,
0: you know, after they, after they lost their first two games, they went on to win their next eight. Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty uh, amazing to watch unfolds because they were getting goals in the strangest ways. It wasn't a whole lot like this season because they, they had won their next eight primarily without the services of Dustin Wolf. And they were going with guys like Garrett Sparks in net. And it was, you know, it was, it was, they were, they were getting okay goaltending, but it was, it wasn't anything like this season. And, um, this year has been quite interesting. This year, they've been out shooting teams with regularity and usually with authority. Um, they look primed, I would say, to go on a bit of a run here. And, and they're, uh, they're a
2: team that that at the last week lost their leading scorer in Adam Mazishka yeah. and, and just, they rep- shown, they just no, put no, Glenn Godden in that spot and kept going. Yeah, which was something we
0: didn't really get to see last season because when Godin was elevated into that spot, he didn't really do so well. Godden had a pretty underwhelming season last year. Uh, this year it's been night and day. Godden's been fantastic. And uh, I think the Godin, the-
2: I, I just did the, the prospect update for the site. He has an NHLE above 50. And like realistically, yeah. in terms of NHLE, uh, if you so realistically for, for shorthand folks, 20s is decent, 30s is pretty good. Forties is impressive. Fifties is usually some sort of a, a rounding error. Like you yeah. forgot to, if you got to, to you, you, your thumb hit a zero twice instead of once, and you're like, oh, okay. Usually, fifties yeah. are, are a typo. You know, the, you know, uh, Glenn Gordon is has quite honestly the best NHL E in the entire flame system. <laughs> and he's come by it by it honestly like he yeah. he was up he was you know then he was down and then he was sort of he's playing on the third line because Rizishko is playing so well because you know the, the the Heat had uh other guys they wanted to see at center and then you know he's he's wherever they put him with he's managed to do stuff and yet he's probably going to be gone after this season because oh, he's in USA oh group <laughs> sex agency
0: yeah it's like what uh, the Coyotes had with Michael Bunting last season when he went on a big tear and then they couldn't keep him because he was he was too old um and obviously Godden hasn't even really done much in the NHL yet and obviously with his NHL even being so high I'm a little bit skeptical that he is ever going to be more than your typical Drew Shore type but or um, or Martin Frick Frick yeah
2: Yeah, yeah, like Perth, there's, yeah. Like there's all, there's, that's the thing. I mean, you know, we, we, we've talked about before. There's plenty of guys who've made pretty damn good livings being good AHLers. and, yeah. you know, Glenn Godden, because I think, because of where the flames are in their development, they're very much in a, Oh God, they got to try to win now kind of mode based on the age and and the, 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 the development curves of a lot of the key players. So you don't really have an opportunity to audition a guy outside of injury and, you know, Godin was up early because Brad Richardson was hurt and they didn't really have anyone else who could play center and then Richardson got healthy Godin came down and, and and then uh they had that other injury to to you know to Brett Richie so they brought up Adam Rizicka and he's been pretty good but I, I just think it's kind of impressive like cuz usually you know Usually when you, somebody gets pulled up, you know, you have to worry about chemistry. You have to worry about a lot of different things, you know, with Matthew Phillips, you know, typically this season, the, the heat first line has been Pelche, Rizicka, and Phillips when they're all there and they're all healthy. And, you know, Pelche had to play with some different guys because, you know, God was up and then, you know, Rizicca got called up and then Phillips was out for a couple of games because of the COVID protocol. Like it's been a weird little bit, but that brings me to the other guy I want to ask you, Jacob Pelche, because as of right now, Jacob Pelche is, I think, depending on how, I, I'm curious how you look at this. So two guys have, including Martin Firk, have 24 points right now. And then... Nobody has 23 points. and Then there's like four guys with 22 points. So depending on your perspective, there are two guys tied for first and then there's uh, but four guys tied for second or there's two guys tied for first and second. And then there's, you know, so I, anyway, that's just all semantics. So uh, Jacob Pelche is one of the guys with 22 points. So he's two points off the lead in the entire American hockey league. He, uh, he's the Stockton's leading scorer by a point over Glenn Godden, who is five years older than him. Uh, he whichever way you want to put it, like you could we can dress this up wherever you we want, but I, I think I, I in the prospect update I put it very succinctly, he's just good. I mean, he's yeah. he's just he's 20 and he you know, there's there's plenty of reasons to be skeptical when players go pro because you know, like I'll put an example Morgan Klimchuk was one of my favorite players to watch in the Western Hockey League, and I still yes. think he was a really good Western Hockey League player. But you know Klimchuk, he was able to do a ton of things well at the American League, at the at the the Western League level, and then he wasn't able to do them the same way or as well in the American Hockey League because you know it, I think the phrase that's often used by Brad for Living and others when I talk to them about development is you're playing against grown ass men, you're playing against guys that this is their job, this isn't you know a hope and a dream for them, it's how they support their families. You're playing against 28 year olds, 30 year olds, 31 year olds, guys who are just They've been there, done that, and they're not really excited in the same way about playing pro hockey as, as they were. Is a it is a nine to five for them, really. And then, you know, so it, you know, coming in, I think a lot of folks had questions about hmm, like P- Pelche, like he was a really, really, really good Quebec league player, consistent, impressive, difference maker, used in different situations. How can he translate that to the AHL? We saw him in a world juniors where he was. Mr. Everything, you know, he was, you know, he was used basically in every line, you know, he was the, the line fixture for the silver medal team thrown on wherever he needed to in any good game. And he ended up playing, I think he was basically brought on the first game. I think he was basically, he as the 13th forward. By the end of it, he was playing regular top six minutes because he was just, he could just fill in any role he needed to. And then, you know, oh, okay. Can, can he, can he do that in the AHL level? And the answer so far is yes. And that's kind of, that's kind of amazing. Cause usually a guy, usually players need between two seasons or half a season to really figure it out.
0: Yeah. And I think there's also a healthy dose of QMJHL
2: skepticism to an extent among flames fan base, um, because the flames, I, I even say amongst the hockey community and I'll, you yeah. know, I'll, I'll say this, like, there's been like, we love the queue. Like the queue yeah. is, it's so much fun, but it's the, the, the thing, the, the reputation of the three junior leagues amongst the scouting community is the WHL and the OHL play a very similar structured game to the NHL in that it's, it's based on systems and tactics and stuff like that, where the Q is sort of more river hockey. And to a certain extent, I think that reputation is a little bit overblown because there's yeah. definitely some Q teams that play great structure, but that's always been the reputation. So when someone puts up, you know, great numbers in the Q, you go, yeah, 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 but it's the Q. And so, and even even in the flames organization you know we, we saw Dmitri zabkarodny come in and go pro last year and he you know he just went i wouldn't say he went back to russia they loaned him russia because you know this year there's a lot of guys under contract that the flames are trying to develop on the wings and Zavgorodny was just the odd man out like hell yeah. you know emilio peterson who's a quite the good uh, American leaguer has barely played top six minutes at all. He he bumped to the fourth line, some games because they they, they're just earned enough, you know, seat at the table for everybody to eat. And so Palce has not only gotten a seat at the table, he's gotten, he's field displayed a few times. Like he's. Yeah. (laughs) He is the guy. He is their
0: guy. Like what he is doing this year, what Matthew Phillips was doing last season. He is their driver. He is their guy on offense. He is, he is a faster the word that I used to describe Jacob Pelletier very often is speed because, and it's not, just, it's not just his foot speed, which is the best on the team and some of the best in the league, I would say. Um, but it's just the speed with which he moves the puck and it's the speed at which he thinks the game. And it's sometimes a little bit too fast for his teammates down there. And uh, it's incredibly advanced for a 20-year-old. Um, but what I'm going to say about the queue here is I'm going to throw it back to you, Pike. Do you know who the last forward the Flames drafted out of the queue was who actually made it to the NHL on a consistent basis?
2: Drafted out of the queue.
0: That's a while. good, it's been, it's, it's hold been on. A while. I'm
2: going to, I'm going to cheat. I'm pulling up hockey reference so I can look at their draft list. Uh, it's been okay, a how, while. How, how many games uh, like
0: to so play? Played, played 536 games. Um, he was ultimately traded at the trade deadline for a center who I ultimately turned out to maybe be only a marginal upgrade in his, at least in his first tenure. Cause, cause
2: Emil Poirier played games, but he only played a yeah, handful. He,
0: I, I wouldn't count Emil meal He only played eight games. It's okay, not, it's Quebec underneath. League regulars. Yeah, I'm
2: scrolling because you scrolling. can go back. You can go
0: back to 2004 to find the last defenseman they picked. That was Adam Party, uh, who the the pride, the,
2: the pride of Bonavista, okay. Newfoundland, and Labrador. Peter Labardius
0: will never let anybody forget that.
2: To be fair, I, I you know I have friends from from Labrador. They love they love it when people from uh, the peninsula end up making I'm still scrolling I'm you, you just okay, it for me because I'm going to keep looking it's Matthew Lombardi um
0: way back in t- 2002 um ended up playing 536 NHL games the Flames picked him in the third round after he had re-entered the draft after being um, selected
2: by the Edmonton Oilers that's right and in a in a
0: in an interesting twist I believe that was the same year that the Oilers selected Jarrett Stoll
2: yeah, Jared Jarrett Stoll who was the the player who is uh, the player to be named later in uh in the Theo Fleury trade. And who was originally drafted by the Calgary Flames. Yeah, the uh yeah, the the uh, yeah. so a little bit of background, folks. So the, the Theo Fleury trade in '99 involved Fleury, two time Stanley Cup champion, Chris Dingman. He was he is now a two-time Stanley Cup champion, but he wasn't <laughs> at that point. And uh so those two went to Colorado in exchange for Wade Bielak. Uh, Renee Corbet the draft pick they used to pick Jarrett Stoll and then a very specific future considerations uh the future considerations was the flame the uh, Colorado would give them a list of players like uh, a prospect I think they had five players on the list and the flames were told you can pick one and they yeah. end up you know mulling it over and they p- end up picking Robin Regeer and it turned out very well Regeer is second all time in flame's history in games played behind uh is he still second no, I think he's third now. I think Giordano probably passed him. Yeah, because Giordano was at nine forty uh, nine something, nine yeah. forty nine when he. So yeah, so a top three all time longevity player for Theo Fleury and uh, and Chris Dingman. So that turned out pretty, pretty good. good. But yeah, it's so it's been a, it's been a while For the Q, since yeah. and, and and I think you know if you look at if you look at the fl- the way Flames draft you look at the way the Flames develop. I mean, you know, they they the their two associate uh, s- uh, the two assistant directors of scouting are the guys who used to be their Western league and Ontario league scouts, because they've had so much success there that you can oh. easily say, you know, you can go, Oh, well, you, you know, you're promoting, you're promoting the guys who produce most consistently NHL players. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. But the Q, like they, they've gotten through a lot of guys, but you know, last couple of years, you know, they've managed to find quite a few good to very good Q prospects. I mean, yeah. now all they have to do is make it now, but yeah. I, I think it's, you know, that's a, uh, Q skepticism was warranted because of Pelche's size. I think there's some, some skepticism. Like Pelche is not huge, but he you know, Pelche is basically, I think he's a little bit smaller than Mangiapane. Not yeah. that much smaller. He's 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 deceptively thick, Pelche is, but I think I think he's like 20, like 15, 10, 15 pounds uh, lighter than manjupani. Granted, he's several years younger. But you know, like I mentioned this to you in in uh, in our slack. This is the worst, probably. We're gonna see of of Pelche. This is Jacob Pelche still figuring things out. This is Jacob Pelche having gone to one NHL camp. Looking, eh, he was was fine. You know, he he didn't stand out in you know negatively or positively. He was not Walker Door, but I mean, Walker Door had the benefit of coming in playing pro games, really figuring out what he was not good at. And you know, I I think it's it's you know you got to commend. A the Flames development staff for being as honest as they could be with, with Walker Door and B, Walker Door for putting in the work. But you know, imagine how good Pelche could be next season with, you know, he'll played, you know, I assume he'll get at some point a game or two in the NHL. The Flames don't have a lot of cap space, but if they can clinch early, knock on wood, let's hope we don't jinx anything with our podcast. But if the flames can get an X next to their name with two, three, four games left and they want to give some guys some breaks, you know, I could very easily see Pelche coming up for two or three games and playing on a line with Backlund, for example, just to figure things out. Cause that seems like a natural spot for them. Oh, yeah. But imagine like, you know, the, the flames they brought, you know, the, they've been very good with sort of keeping guy bringing guys up, giving them a taste and then saying, here's what you're not good at. Here's what you need to get better at. And Walker Door, just from a handful of AHL games, became you know he's he was the, he was the first recall this year because yeah. he came he went in and did the work and I don't think it's disrespectful to Walker Door to say that I think Pelche has the opportunity to really take all the experience he's gathering this year and use to become I'm not going to say an exceptional player because I'm not sure if he's a guy with top six potential, but he's easily a guy who could be a Michael Backlund level impact player in the NHL for a while because of how smart he is and how adaptable he is. So, you know, this, this might be the first test of how smart he is and how adaptable he is, because what can he do from year one to year two in the pros to up his game? Cause I think if he can, if he can find another level, he could be an NHL regular potentially as early as next season.
0: Well, you know what I remember about the last time the Flames looked this good uh, to start a season in 2018-19 is they started the year with their top line firing on all cylinders, basically their whole top six firing on all cylinders. And that stopped basically in February and the rest of the season, the line that got them to the playoffs was the line with Derek Ryan and Andrew Mangiapani. And the thing is the flames to start this season have looked to me at times, like a team that is short one top nine forward. They have, they have eight of them basically. And I'm like, if they get a long-term injury at some point, or if they become disillusioned with whichever players they have in the bottom, of the rotation at a certain point, I am very interested to see what would happen if Jacob Pelletier is the guy who they recall, because I have to think based on their depth chart right now. If they have a long-term spot that opens up, I can't see anybody else coming up. Um, I don't think it's going to be Glenn Godden if they have a guy who is looks to be out for like two or three months. I think it's going to be Pelche, And that is something where I think that there's a lot of potential to unlock um, because we haven't seen a guy in Stockton look this good at age 20 since oh boy Dylan Dubay maybe and I think Pelicha looks a little bit better than that so it's hard to say but there's a lot to like
2: yeah I mean it's it's gonna be very interesting because they've you know we we've we discussed the prospects a lot we've discussed the draft the drafted guys a lot but I think you know this you know, the, the cohort of first year pros this year was Connor Zeri, who you know he got off a bad start because he broke his foot in a, yeah. in a meaningless prospect game, and didn't get really going. And I think finally now, I think he's starting to get a enough. Of players. Players. Yeah, like he had two goals last, you know, the last week. So I think he's starting to get his legs. But I think the nice thing is they have enough depth so they can sort of bring him along slowly. But you know, the the other two guys, I mean, twenty year old Wolf, arguably the best, if not one of the handful of best goaltenders in the AHL at twenty. Jacob Pelche, top five in scoring in the in the Western or in the American League at age twenty. Like these guys have been pros for all of like 25 games tops and they're looking like guys that could push. And I think the nice thing for the flames is like, you know, if, especially from a goaltending perspective, you know, they, they got Arseny Sergeyev in, uh, in the USHL with Tri-City, who is in the same position. He's in the first year of a new level of hockey and looking like a world beater. And, you know, the nice thing for him is he's going to go to UConn and he has, you know, Realistically, if you go to college, most of the time they spend two years there and then they go pro. So if you're Sagayev, you probably have another two seasons on top of this one before you really have to worry about what to do with them. Uh, you know, for the Flames, like Dan Vladar is under contract for another season, like 22-23, he's the league minimum player again. He's quite good. Uh, they found some great value there. And they got a guy named Jacob Markstrom signed till 2026 in, in, uh, in the number one role. So they have the ability that... They don't need to rush anybody. Like there's no need for Justin Wolf to be the cavalry. And even if you look at how the Flames are built up front, I mean, you know, all, I think one of the one of the I felt so bad for Ben Berchi when he came up. He came up on an emergency recall. Uh, back when Jay Feaster was here, and you know they they had to bring him up because they ran out of human bodies who could play, you know, forward for the Flames. They could have they could have gone seven defensemen. They opted to use the emergency recall rule and bring him up in the Western League for a week. And in retrospect, that might have been the worst thing for him. I, I know Jay Feaster uh, speaking like a couple years later, sort of indicated some regret into how that was handled. Uh, because I think it set expectations wrong for Sven. But I think the problem is also at that point, that was during the era where the Flames didn't have a lot of depth at the NHL level or the prospect level. And so, you know, we we always joke about the the folks up north how you know every year some great young player's life was going to be ruined by being drafted by the Edmonton Oilers and not nothing against the organization itself but just the idea that you know some 18 year old kid who's really good in junior would be asked to save the Edmonton Oilers which is completely unfair and really yeah. you know i think uh Ryan Nugent-Hopkins has overcome that and become a really you know i i think Nugent-Hopkins is kind of underloved you know, in this market, I think we have a good appreciation of what he is. Because we've seen him for so long, and I think if you put some uh, some truth serum uh, in some of the Edmonton Oilers fans, they probably have the same kind of appreciation for Michael Backlund. But so many 18 year olds just ha- just got soured by the Oilers by being pushed too much too soon because they didn't have the ability to to not do that. They, they didn't have the depth to do that. And I think at the time, the Flames were the same way, where you know, year or two after being drafted. No way in hell you should be pushing the top six minutes. Like shield the hell out of your kids. And I think the nice thing is the Flames. The Flames, you know, because the Flames have like three seasons, like two more seasons after this until Jacob Pelche is a waiver risk. So great, you got three seasons to make the absolute most you can out of this kid. Like you can tell right away he's going to be good. And now it's like, okay, how do you set him up so he can be very good? And I think the same thing with Wolf, like the nice thing with goalies is you have four years for uh, their entry level year, plus another year to really bring them along before they become waiver eligible. And like Dustin, like, Dustin Wolf could probably play and win NHL games now. Like he's, he's that Maybe. good already. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, great. You have a, you basically have a third guy who's as good and Adam Werner's is probably that good too. Maybe not. Fair? I don't think Adam yeah. Werner is, but Adam Werner, if you like you need to throw a guy and throw him to the wolves, yeah. you throw Werner in. But I think that's the cool thing. Cause like, this is why drafting and developing is so important because, you know, let's be quite honest, like saying, you know, you need to throw somebody guy, somebody in with no with no practice on short notice. You got Byron Fraze, you got Glenn Goddard you got Justin Kirkland. You have guys that you do not have any emotional or developmental attachment to. You can throw them in and they're veteran guys and they get it. And they won't no. have their development soured by it. But like you said, I think if they have some runway to ease a guy into a role, and there's an obvious role there. Helche is looking pretty good. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what they do with them because like, this is, this is, this is what you hope for with when you draft guys in the first round, you're hoping, and I guess in Wolf's case, the seventh round, you're hoping that you're going to have to make, you go, huh, what do you do with this kid? So I, you know, I think, I think they're, I think we're at a very interesting time in the Flames development because, you know, we've done a lot of the site about, uh, you know, but what are they going to do with the big four? They got Shillington, Majipani, Kachuk, and Goudreau with needing new contracts. Goudreau could be leaving. Maybe he's mm-hmm. not. I think he's staying because I think, you know, I think he likes it here. I think all four of them like it here, to be quite honest. And I think if the money is right, all four of them will like it here for a long time. But if you're if you're spending $4 million on on Maggiopani, maybe five, you're planning, spending two, $3 million on Shillington, nine-ish on Gaudreau and or Hachuk. You're going to need Jacob Pelche to come in at a, a entry-level deal and give you good minutes. You might need him to give you better minutes than other guys on the entry-level deal. So all of a sudden, your drafting and development becomes important. And then who do you have behind him in the Stockton ranks who could give you... Good minutes in stockton so that when you have an injury when you have somebody getting the flu when you need to call somebody up at short notice do you have guys behind them who can come in so yeah it's or- it's yeah the drafting development things were fascinating to me because you know the the, the reason the detroit was so good for so long and granted i mean some of that was there was no salary cap so they didn't have to worry about that crap but in the salary cap era even they have they were living off the fruits of really good drafting for years. The Grand Rapids Griffins were a really good hockey team for years. And they kept producing guys who would come in and help Chicago Wolves. uh, Now they are, I believe Carolina's farm team, but back when they were, uh, they were used to be St. Louis's farm team. They were Vegas's farm team for a year. They were the, uh, I believe the Chicago Blackhawks uh, farm team for a little while after that, uh, before Rockford came in, but, all those organizations, it's basically just the Wolves, let's be honest. We're so good at keeping, developing good players. The Rochester Americans with Buffalo for years have been very good. So, I mean, this is this is going to be some stuff we're going to be talking about for a while, especially if the Flames make some transactions that move some NHL players out of town. Okay, great. You got replacements, but do you have replacements for your replacements? You know, do you have the ability to have, you know, Pelche goes up. Can you put Coronado in the, in the farm after that? Or does he go straight in? Do you have somebody who can play like, you know, the flames have been very good and very fortunate that they found guys in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth rounds, who've been able to come in and give them good minutes. Uh, They got Matthew Phillips's pick because Nick Backstrom managed to get home from the mall of America on a trade deadline and fax Mm -hmm. a waiver of his no move to the NHL head office. So the flames could make that pick. Uh, They traded uh, David Jones to, uh, to Minnesota for Nick Backstrom and uh, a sixth round pick. They ended up becoming uh, Matthew Phillips. So yeah. what, you know, can, can they do more of that? I mean, what do, what do you think? I, I think, you know, did it, to me, it's kind of, it's kind of striking how many, how many options they have on the farm that they didn't have maybe five years ago. Yeah, right now, the immediate replacements, I mean, they have
0: guys, they're kind of replete with guys who I think who could step in if there was a top six vacancy down there and do okay. Like Emilio Peterson's barely playing. Um, Like that's the guy who was in a top six role all last season and performed reasonably well. And if they needed to call up Jacob Palach, they could probably slide him in up there and not really miss too much of a beat um, in terms of being able to have different guys moving up and around on different special teams. It would probably be just fine. Um, and I, I know that's saying maybe saying a little bit, a lot considering how good Pellet has been, but they have a lot of guys there, right? Um, you know, guys like Justin Kirkland, even who are just AHL caliber veteran, decent middle six guys, they have them Byron Freight. Connor's area is a third line center on this team. Like he has played a lot of wing at the AHL level. He, he played exclusively at the wing last season in his nine games. And he was very good at it. Um, on a line with Phillips and Rizicka. Um, but yeah, that, so that, that part's interesting. They also have the guys like Jack Beck coming and Rory Karens, Ryan Francis, who are guys who look, you know, like they could very easily be good at the very least good AHL players, but going to Wolf just for a second, I, I, it's just absolutely wild to me that this is a guy who was drafted two years ago and we're already talking about him as like, he's one of the best prospects in hockey at his position at the very least. And like the seventh round. It's just not that round where you see guys who are immediately, immediately considered to be impact prospects. Because we've been talking about Wolf with reverence almost immediately after he was drafted. And I'm looking at the seventh round at its record and there's nobody like in the last decade. There's like- Well, not even like, like
2: I, was, I was, Pat and I were both at that draft and we were, we radiohead afterwards and I was, you know, man, I mean, Western league folks have been talking about Dustin Wolf for a couple of seasons, because of how good Carter Hart was and how good Wolf was taking over Carter Hart, because that's a that's a hard act to follow. Carter yeah. Hart is still spoken about with reverence in WHL goaltending circles. And Dustin Wolf ended up having probably a career slightly better than him.
0: You know, yeah. numerically,
2: he was a better goaltender with Dustin Wolf. He didn't or he didn't get a chance to uh, really do much in the postseason because of the way the Western league was. Unfortunately, he had two playoffs years washed out because of COVID, which is kind of a kind of a shame because it would be amazing yeah. to see what he could do in that kind of situation. But like, like what, if you're, if you're, if you're doubting Dustin Wolf now, I mean, anything can happen in hockey. I mean, your boy, your knocks, your knocks are, well, I mean, he was never the world junior starter. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he wasn't the world junior starter, but he played behind, you know, Spencer Knight, who was a very, very good college player and a very very good international player of usa hockey and a first round pick and a first round pick and then oh you know we never really do anything in the playoffs okay yeah those those are both statements of fact he was he was the backup on a, on a gold medal winning team uh for for the world jingers, but he never really got a do, chance to do anything but outside of that like he's his resume is incredible i remember i vividly remember being in that you know when 214 comes around in, in uh in vancouver like usually you know in in the the draft, uh, folks, uh, you know the media sits in the risers, and then as the team you cover finishes up, you get up, you pack your stuff up, and you sort of amble down to do media, and then you go to the hotel, you go to the bar, you go wherever you go, and you have a nap because that second day of the draft is a slog. It starts at nine in the morning, and yeah. we had a we had a writers' association meeting at eight in the morning or seven forty-five or something. So we had a procedural meeting for the writers' association followed by six rounds of the draft, and the flames did a lot of stuff that day so that was a tiring day but you know so the the, the you know uh, rogers arena is clearing out there's not a lot of stuff going on and then 200 and uh, 214th overall the car Flames select justin wolf everett silver Tips. and you hear a little like yeah, a little a little cheer his family was there like he was he yeah. was there all weekend waiting to get drafted hoping he get drafted fourth and last pick he gets picked and it's i've never heard in the seventh round through two, two, three drafts, the arena get that loud. So, I mean, that's such a, it was such a cool moment. And if, even if that's all he got, that would, I think that would have been enough, but it sounds like he's going to get more than that. And I think, you know, it's uh, in in the words of uh, of Chancellor Palpatine in Phantom Menace, we'll follow your career with great interest because like there's, there's, there's all kinds of guys who would overlook for stupid reasons. I mean, Adramanjapani is a good example you know his first you know even Matthew Phillips Matthew Phillips was a really 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 good Western league player right away but teams did not draft him high because he was small and he didn't really have a big sample size the American in the Western league so if you know the idea is players who have multiple years in one level tend to get drafted more often than not given you know than than other players because they have you know you can look at two years of of player X and be like, oh you know I think he'll end up being whatever because he went from level A to level B in the same same league. So you don't have to you don't have to go like, oh how does the H H L compare to the Western League? I don't know. Oh how does the BCHL compare to the Western League? You can p- compare apples to apples and see guys get better. And so Matthew Phillips, he had one really good year in the Western League, but got, fell to the sixth round because a little bit small and uh, they only had one year. Okay, oh, yeah, cool. Uh, you know, Mount had two seasons under his belt, but got knocked because uh, he's not that big. Okay, yeah, that's kind of a stupid reason to not draft someone, but the Flames managed to find some efficiency there. I mean, Dustin Wolf was objectively one of the best goaltenders in major junior hockey in his draft year, and he fell to the seventh round, fourth and last, because he's 5'11 actually then he's six he's listed height now is six feet he grew like a half i think he was five eleven, and he was five eleven in the beginning of his draft year and by the end of the year he'd grown an inch so he was about six feet so i mean small for a goalie but i mean to to steal a phrase from Bradford living he sure does get in the way of the puck though doesn't he so yeah, he does yeah i mean the flames have plenty of big dudes they got plenty of skilled dudes some of them aren't that big some of them are but you know i i think uh it's interesting. I like the, I like the mix down there and we'll see what they do. Cause the last time, you know, the Stockton, last time the Flames Marley team was any damn good it was 2000, 2001, when the NHL team was not particularly good oh. and they ended up having a Calder cup team put together of sort of a hodgepodge of guys. And there was sort of guys who played an older style of game. They were slow. It was more of a clutchy grabby thing. Uh, Jim Playfair was the head coach. Steve Bajan was on that team. And outside of that, there's not really a lot of notable players from the Calder Cup winning St. John Flames. I think but Rico now, is very notable. I think yeah, Rico Fata. I mean, he's famous to us. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think the the flame where the Flames are, the development it's kind of interesting, kind of fun. I think for folks following the clubs, that you have a minor league team that's very good, and at this point, an NHL team is quite good too. And can one help the other one? We'll see. But I mean. You know, there's still two thirds of the season in both levels to go, but you know, we we have no shortage of things to talk to talk about.
0: Yeah, well, when the when the when the St. John Flames won the Calder Cup in 2001, uh, their two goalies that year were Marty Brochu, who had an 8.99 save percentage, and Levante Zupper, who the
2: Hungarian Superman, Levante Zuper
0: Who, uh, is, is, Superman, Levente Zuper. Uh, who um, I learned actually earlier this year because I talked to the play-by-play commentator from that team uh Andy McDonald or Andy Mc, Andy uh, Andy Campbell Andy Campbell Andy Camp- um yeah uh the, his nickname that year was the backstop from Budapest and uh, his, uh his, his 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 save percentage that year was an 898 uh so they the, the, they won the call their Cup that year on the back of two goaltenders who were under a 900 uh whereas with Dustin Wolf and that was in the height of sort of the clutch and grabber as you said where the scoring wasn't super high so how they did that i have no idea um but yeah, like looking at Dustin Wolf's trajectory, it's unprecedented. It is actually like in the last decade, if you look at the guys who have been drafted in the seventh round, anybody who has made the league had to fight to be renowned or regarded as a high, high-end prospect. You had guys like, uh, you know, Mackenzie Weger who played in the ECHL and Dominic Kubelik, whose rights were traded from LA to Chicago for basically nothing before he was given a shot and finally, you know, turned into a 30-goal scorer. And Dustin Wolf has been considered an immediate hit, basically, as a 7th round. And, you know, I posted it on Twitter a couple days ago. How were none of the first 213 picks of the 2019 draft, Dustin Wolf? And the response I got from one person was, well, he has zero NHL wins. And I mean... (laughs) Yeah, no. yeah, yeah, but no. at the same time, this is we're two years out from this draft, and if you're doing a redraft today, because what I don't know, thirty people maybe from that draft have played games, but Dustin Wolf goes in the top twenty.
2: I think so. I think it's. I, I think if if you want to be really conservative and adhere to Kent Wilson's rule of don't take goalies early, you can't really justify taking them outside of the second round. Even like if no. you're if you're looking if you're grasping at straws, second round at worst. Yeah. No kidding. Oh, and uh for the, for those of you following along at home, here are the top ten scores for the 001 uh St. John Flames. Let, let me let me
0: see just
2: Mika hold on. Ol- do, 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 do. Yeah, so Miko is one. Mika. Let me see if I can guess the rest of the 10.
0: Here, okay. Uh, let, let, let let okay,
2: okay. Uh, Marty Murray. Yes.
0: Uh was Dave Roche on the team? Dave Roche. Uh, uh Danny Kachuk. Yes. Uh Chris Clark. Yes. Uh, Rico Fada. yes. Uh, um, but, but, uh, oh, uh, I've already said Marty Murray, haven't I? Steve Beja. Yes. Asia? Steve Bejan was
2: twelfth. Oh wow! Okay. uh Oh boy. Okay. Names you didn't get: Derek Wasler, Sergey Varlamov, oh, Daryl yeah. Scoville, <laughs> Benoit Grattan, Jason Botterill. Oh wow. And the goalies that year: Marty Brochu, Levente Zuper, and Danny Sabaran.
0: Yeah, not a, not a not exactly a, a, a festering ground for future NHL players. Although, to be honest, uh, to be fair, Steve
2: Monsador, I believe was on that team. Um, so there, there's pretty good alumnus. Was he on that team? Yeah, he yep. was. Fifty-eight games. Yeah, any yep. players who played NHL games from that team: Murray Roche, Fata, Varlamov, who was part of the Freddie Brathwaite trade the next Blair season. Betts. Uh, could Chuck play games, Clark Botterill, uh, see Bajan Blair bets, uh, Mark Bureau, who was at the end of his career at that point. Uh, Derek Morris, who came in, uh, I think he came in as a, uh, on a conditioning stint. Um, Sean Sutter, who didn't play NHL games, but I just like saying, reminding people that Sean Sutter existed. Uh, Yeah. Not a lot of. It
0: wasn't. Yeah. It was a lean group. It was not a good. It was. It was not a. uh, It it was not full of alumni. It was. It was not built the way that you would hope
2: a championship team would be built. But yeah, it's the AHL. Uh, Yeah. So well, thankfully you uh, you managed to have a a nice uh, low event. Let's say a trip to sunny California. You got to see some good hockey. Uh, You got to see a couple different buildings. You got to see San Jose's building from the outside
0: which was a super ugly holy mackerel
2: that was there's so a lot good. of it's i think the aesthetic they went for there was like let's just throw a bunch of metal and glass there i mean yeah but for the aesthetic they were trying to do, do like i think they were basically i think the folks who made uh, uh belt what the hell is it called Uh capital something center what's, what's the arena what did they call
0: oh 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 um
2: they changed uh, it
0: again they did change it um oh Canada North Center Canada, or something.
2: Canada Life Center. The Canada, Canada Life, Life Center, formal formerly MTS and Bell MTS Arena. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to Winnipeg, folks, they don't have an airport. Actually, they do. We're legally yeah. required to say they have an airport. Uh, Winnipeg's arena is very nice, it's very compact, it fills up two blocks, but they you have a nice little they use glass well. It's a nice edifice, like it's it's not ugly, it fits in well, it's a nice building. You don't you don't walk past it and go, what were they trying to do there? Uh, San Jose's arena is not that. It is sort of a hodgepodge, but I mean, yay Winnipeg. Well,
0: I was hoping at some point this season to maybe go down to a trip. Uh, for a trip to um to Arizona to the Gila River Arena, but breaking news. While we have been on this call, it looks like they might be locked out after December twentieth, and their business license in the state of
2: Arizona has been canceled. Yeah, the so, uh the the Arizona Coyotes, folks. If you if you follow uh everyone's favorite writer Katie Strang, who's amazing and just does so much great. good stuff. She does great stuff on the human interest stuff and sort of dealing with sort of yeah. for lack of a better term, some gross shit. That uh happens to hockey players and other and non-hockey players in the world. Uh, but she's also really, really, really good at the business of hockey stuff. Her and Craig Customs over at the Athletic. Uh, and um, oh, there's like a few other people at the Athletic who are really, really good. I'm not afraid to plug them because they're fantastic and they're just doing great work. Uh, but Katie uh has a bunch of stuff on uh just the mess in the desert. I mean, goodness. Ar- Arizona they got in trouble last year or during the beginning of the lockout or the beginning of the pandemic for not paying people and they yeah, didn't, for... they weren't paying their lease payments. Granted the ownership had been changing over. So the excuse that was given amongst many was, Oh, you know, so-and-so's job. And then they changed so-and-so's job, to something else. And no one did it. I mean, cool, whatever, but pay your people. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. now, now for non-payment, they're being threatened with, eviction and their, their, their lease isn't being renewed. That wasn't a new, that's not new information, but they, instead of being booted out at the end of the year, I think at the end of uh, the NHL season, they're being threatened with the boot earlier, which is just a great look in a never ending saga. Uh, Folks. I know like we dealt with a very, very short and shockingly civil arena negotiation in Calgary in Arizona, I mean, the Arizona hockey fans, I feel for you, because like <laughs> yeah, there are okay. a lot of really committed hockey fans in Arizona who have had to deal with a lot of stupid crap from their hockey club over the last 20 years, and it's not—it's kind of unfair to them. I mean, you can make fun of the organization all you want, folks. Don't make fun of the market. Arizona has a lot of good people who love the sport and are just sort of – they're as pissed off and aghast at the situation as you are. So we'll see how that develops uh, over the course of – the days and weeks uh stay tuned to uh yeah follow katie strang on twitter just go to twitter search katie strang hit follow and then you enjoy your life because you're there's nothing she's got nothing but hits as in stories that are worth your time even if you're not a fan of whatever team you you know follow her on twitter it's well worth yeah. your time but yeah let's uh we'll see what up happening with that uh mike i know you have you're probably got 1900 things to do uh so thank you very much for your time folks this has been flames nation radio brought to you by eau claire distillery maker of very nice tasty booze and our friends at doordash will bring you food to go along with wherever you get from eau claire distillery how is that for a a nice tie-in so for mike gould i'm ryan pike Uh, thank you very much for joining us we'll see you next week on flames nation radio